boys and girls, as we see Kirby evanescing into the frame, so happy. And here we are. Uh, it is This is the Battle Hymnal. Welcome. My name is Nathan Lawrence. I am one of the proprietors of Chapel Bell Curve, uh, your second favorite podcast about UGA football, I think, statistically. Uh, your first one that's about stats. I am joined by my two co-hosts today on the Battle Hymnal, our UGA film review show, uh, Josh Hancher of Dog underscore Stats on Twitter. Say hello, Josh. Good evening, guys. Good morning if you're watching this tomorrow. And Graham Coffey of Dog Sports Writing Frame. Good, uh, Say hello, Graham. Hello, everybody. All right. So without any more gilding the lily, let's get straight into what we do. Let's break down some plays. So I think we're going to start with what I think was everyone's favorite play. Let's talk through the Jalen Carter touchdown. All right. So the Georgia Jumbo package has been much publicized, much loved, but it came up a little short at the end of the first half. We get the big guy, 300 pounds of love and athleticism and beef on the outside. He makes a man miss one-on-one. Touchdown, Georgia. Nothing more beautiful than that. I was at the game on Saturday. It brought the house down. Strangers wanted to high five, but they didn't because social distancing is good. But yeah, beautiful, beautiful play design, beautiful play use. And it was nice to see an offensive coordinator not slam their head against the wall when something didn't work. All right, leave it to the the nerd here. I'm going to talk about this Kamara punt. Uh, tight game and Kamara gets, we're backed up and Kamara absolutely just kills this ball. And we and Zyra was listening to the play-by-play on the radio, and Zyra talked about how it was important to flip the field here. We flipped the field on them. Our defense got some breathing room and just stuffed them from here on out. It was, I swear, I think this this is one of the, the key plays of the game is just not letting giving them an inch of life to come back. They were going to make them drive the field, and our defense took over from there. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about Monty Rice. Uh, here's a play I like. Monty Rice coming on the inside. He actually goes to the B gap. He looks like he's going A gap and he goes around that guy, the guard. And just, I mean, what beautifully coached technique to to see that he still has the ball, go down, strip the ball, pick it up. I mean, I think Monty Rice, and we can talk about this more later, Monty Rice had absolutely the game of his career this game. He was blitzing. He was covering. He played excellent in run support. And what I really love about this play is just like he shows the blitz a little bit, but they don't see it. They can't pick it up. And he just runs right by a left uh, that uh, left guard there. And just everything about this play was just the way you would draw, draw it up. Technique, execution, um, just result, right? Best case scenario. Um, and like one of my favorite things that I've ever seen happen other than that Jalen Carter touchdown, which, you know, I was at the Rose Bowl and the Jalen Carter touchdown is probably now my second favorite uh, Georgia play that I've seen. Um, <laughs> awesome. Well, those are three ways to look at a game. Offense, defense, special teams. Yeah, it's a good start with our little blitz round here. Um, trying to sort of start out a little bit, uh, a little bit faster. Just give you three plays we think matter off the top of the off the top of the dome. So um, let's let's get into some deeper breakdowns. Maybe some plays that might have escaped notice of people, or that maybe you know deserve a little bit of more of a breakdown. Uh, Josh, do you want to do you want to run through a Jermaine, your Jermaine Burton play here? So yeah, uh, we got Jermaine Burton coming on the end around here. It looks like a little speed option look. Uh, Fitzpatrick pulling the tight end there gets a nice block. Dude, that, is <laughs> I kind of want to show that play uh, in unison with uh, play number sixty from Demetrius Robinson. A, a few different running plays, but. 
what we're what we're looking at here is basically Georgia struggled uh, with their kind of downhill running game on Saturday against Tennessee, which they absolutely killed Auburn with the action of just kind of those those zone power power zones and outside zones uh, up the middle and you know off tackle last week, and so they kind of you know kept trying to go to that during the first and second half against Tennessee and it, it was not working. So, you know, getting the ball out to the edge for Demetrius Robertson probably counted as passing yards for Stetson Bennett, but in reality, like that's a, that's functioning as a run play. Same with Jermaine Burton on the end around there. If we can look at uh play number 58 as well. Yeah. So we got Kendall Milton here to me, this was the play of the game. Um, that was, you know, a huge kind of moment in the drive. Georgia was only up by two points there. The game still felt like it was it was teetering a little bit. Yeah, sorry. I, got, I think this is one of those weather breaks. This is the only coverage. I think we got to that play maybe. But, yeah, this yeah. is – I mean, Milton's just dying. I mean, he's just oh, – what, yeah. what a run. Yeah, so anyways, but the, the thing with that play was that, you know, I was sitting behind the bench yesterday a few rows up, and, like, when that happened – there was just an amount of energy that came back to the bench that had kind of been gone since midway through the second quarter after the failed uh, fourth and one from our own 35. So, you know, Zamir White is a great running back. We all love him. We all want him to succeed. But yesterday was maybe not his best day. I believe he had 22 carries that like 40 yards or so. So it was good to see Monken, you know, get away from – what he was doing with Zeus and get the ball to Milton, get the ball to Edwards, get the ball on the outside to Robertson, get the ball to Burton on the end around and find different ways to create some rushing yards and to create some, some run game production for Georgia. It also did a great job of pulling defenders out of the middle of the field and kind of opened up some of the passing game down the middle later on in the third and the fourth quarter. Um, what did you think of all that, Nathan? I mean, I think, you know, I don't know how well – we we are using Zemir White on a lot of plays where he's just not set up for success based on what defenses are giving us. So I don't want to put it all on him, but I will say it did seem like we had a lot more going on the outside power and on the outside zone than we did on the inside. Um, so whether it was from utilization or just, you know, Zemir not seeing the field very well, I don't know. But I do know you're I, – I think – this is a good example of what Munkin does well, which is just make adjustments in real time. Um, he, oh, holy shit, that is a giant spider. Hold on. No, kittens, don't try to kill the spider. Oh, you already did. Okay, hold on. Uh, we're, we're live. I know we're live, <laughs> but this spider is like, this spider is like a two inches wide. Hold on. <laughs> um, go ahead, so go John, on. I'll be right back. No worries. So, Josh. I'm gonna call up. I'm gonna call up the Zeus uh, draw play number play number 37. You got anything to talk yeah, about? That? I do want to talk about that a little bit because we ran a lot of like lazy draws with Zamir White and other backs yesterday. Like if we can run that back to the start again. So like this is how you run a draw play. You pause and you let your blockers get upfield, and you you know draw the defense upfield, and then you hand the ball off. And a lot of times in the Georgia offense over the last few years, we've seen these draw plays where effectively you're just running right into the defense because yeah, we're not, you're, you're, we're not, 
You're meeting the defense. You got to let the defense get past you. Is that is that the gist? Yeah, yeah. We're not like you know. In the past, we haven't held that action, and and Stetson did a good job there because there was a couple other times in the game yesterday where we did not do a good job with those draws. Um, I'm curious. So you, as a statistical analytics guy, what did you think of the fourth and one? Ball from the thirty-five in the second quarter. I know we had a little. Uh, I was all. I was all about it. I think. Um, I mean, a team that has that wants to run the ball, you got to be able to get that. You got to be able to get that yard. And um, and I, I was all about it. I think that's you know sort of the modern way of playing football. Is I've never understood why you just give away a down. You know, and it was it was a it was a gamble, and it was a high risk. But I, I think not a high risk. I, I think it should have been a low risk. I think. Now, I think execution-wise, we got to get better at it. I mean, you know, we are terrible at quarterback sneaks. I don't understand yeah, it. Yeah, that was – you go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 jump in. I mean, I, I think, like, in the book, like, if you have the, like, you know, quant, the quant book of when to go for it on fourth, that's a pretty good decision, especially since you feel pretty good about your defense, which didn't turn out well, but, I mean, you still do. You can't be results-oriented. Does, does anybody know what play number that is? On, on I, do, I do not off the top of my okay. head. Um, I can see if I can pull it up. But the, that play, you know, say what you want about Stetson Bennett. He's, he has a lot of good things, but Cam Newton, is he is not, right? So if that play is not run perfectly, you're very unlikely to ha- have success, right? And the problem is, like, UT believed that we would snap it. We did not catch them off guard, which I think we thought we might. Um, so I don't know. I, I find so, I found that to be a little bit, I don't know. The decision was not a bad one. That I don't know about the play call. So for me, I feel like the decision, I could, you know, I could see it in certain situations, but against a team that you've kind of already just, you know, it was evident at that point in the game that Georgia was the better team and that Tennessee was not going to be able to drive the full field on our defense. And I get the, like, the desire to maybe go and shut them out and, like, kind of end the game right there. And I wonder if the possibility of the weather coming in had something to do with that play call of, like, let's get up big before the rain comes and we can't pass and this turns into a slop. Right. But running running a quarterback draw with your 5'11 quarterback, I don't agree with. But I also felt like there was a little bit of like kind of a, a macho ego pissing match that was happening between Kirby and Pruitt on that. And it was like, well, they went for fourth and one on their own, you know, 35 and got it. So we're going to show them that we can do it. But like, you're not the underdog, so you don't have to do that. But my biggest, my biggest qualm about it is that and I, I didn't know this at the time, but I found this out last night. So since last year on fourth and one or shorter, Georgia is one out of eight, which is the worst in all of FBS. So if we're going to continue to go for it on fourth and one, I think that's great. And I agreed with going for it on the goal line at the end of the half, but we got to find more creative ways to do it. We got to work some play action in or do something yeah. because it's not working. Well, and, it, and it's just, it's frustrating to me because there are a lot of really interesting, fun uh, fourth and one calls. There really are. I mean, I there's a lot of cool, oh, uh, you're looking for clip 31. I got it. It's yeah. Work. 
so the the thing about it is if you look at this play, I mean, there's nothing interesting going on here blocking wise. And I, and I just don't get when you have Kenny McIntosh, you have George Pickens, you have Jermaine Burton. I mean, you just run, I mean, like if you run like double slants, there's a decent chance with the way that that defense is stacked up that Stetson Bennett can just run it outside for the first down. Yeah. That's what and, I was just show that play and then just run out, you know? Yeah. And I, I just think for all of the compliments that I have for Todd Munkin and for all that I think like that, you know, that Carter play was a great call. Um, I, I do think that th- this was a very Kirby smart call. This felt like a Kirby smart call to me. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? It, it, and it, we it, look, if you have Cam Newton, hell, if you have Jared Guarantano, you could probably just have him fall down and get that first down. Yeah. Stead's a bit. I don't, I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions. He's not Cam Newton. Right. <laughs> and like, and I think we can say that objectively at this point. Um, I would love it to hear, you know, quarterback sneak is like 70 to 80% successful in the NFL. And I know that that's a different game and you're, you know, you're not going to have a five eleven quarterback of Stetson Bennett and Stetson Bennett size and, and weight in the NFL. But I just don't understand. It seems like we never stop him, <laughs> but yet we always, like Graham said, seven out of eight times or one out of seven, whatever that was from Scott Van Pelt, we're getting stuffed and it's frustrating because I want to be able to do that play. I want to be able to break their back. I want to be able to, to, right. you know, I mean, it changes the dynamic on your third down calls. You know I mean? If you're third and three, um, I mean, you can, you can, it opens up the playbook. You don't feel like you got to throw it. I don't think against a Jeremy Pruitt defense, like Jeremy Pruitt is Kirby smart. He is going to put eight dudes in the box yeah. and you have to have the self-awareness to know, okay, Pruitt's going to crowd the line. Let's like pop a play action out of this. Let's run outside. Let's pitch it, whatever, because I don't know. I just don't, I hate, I just hate that call for a variety of reasons. Now, can we talk about play 33? Yep. I, I, and look, I want to say before you even run this play, like I have no problem with Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett's starting against Alabama. I think, you know, we're, we could be one and two if we didn't have Stetson Bennett. I, I really do. And so I got no problems. But I, I do think this is a kind of an example of a throw that he has got to get better at. So what you're going to see here is there's just an unblocked man on this on this play. And he kind of tries to force it to his first read. I assume that Pickens was his hot route here. So I, I get you you kind of you got to go to the, un- the occupied space, right? He throws to the he throws to where the, the blitz came from. But if we look out of the corner, you can see that Pickens, he doesn't even throw to the blitz. He throws to McIntosh, right? But Pickens actually has a step here, right? So like Pickens has a step, Fitzgerald or Fitzpatrick has a step on the little sort of flat route. Pickens has a step on the end, the the end. And I know that like Pickens hadn't broken when, you know, as the rush was coming back. Like right here, he's got, I mean, he's covered up completely by the linebacker. I mean, that's just yeah. not, a, not an open throw at all. You're not. Yeah, there's just the angle of that and where you are on the field, if you're on the wide side with that play, you might be able to get him to bend that flat enough, but it's that Bennett has done some really good things. And I want to talk about something that I think that he does really well, that matches up well against our next opponent, but he has got to get better about throwing in the face of a free blitzer. And I actually think in the pocket, in a crowded blitz area, he's actually been really, he's been fine. Like when he has guys in his face, he's been okay. He's been able to move around in the pocket, but he does not do great with corner fire, man. And and look, if I'm seeing that, then I can damn well tell you that Nick Saban's seeing that. So, like, yeah. for me, I would say practice session number one, the first thing is we're just going to corner fire Stetson Blinnett until he can figure it out. And Because what you saw against, like, 
the, uh, in the Ole Miss Bama game, and I don't want to talk too much about Bama, but like in the Ole Miss Bama game, they were actually talking about how much pressure Alabama was bringing from the corner, right? And yeah. so you're going to see that look. Um, All right, now, so one, we, we've crapped on him, so let's let's bring let's up. Just, let me give you something nice. Yeah. Something <laughs> that Bennett does well that should should bother um, should bother Alabama. Let, let's look at the uh, let's look at the Jackson touchdown here. It's live. Here we go. Um, so we've talked about this the whole year. Bennett can attack the, the middle of the field and Munkin can attack the middle of the field. And this throw is like, you know, this is probably a coverage breakdown and it's a touch late, but he has a, he has a really nice touch on intermediate to early deep balls to the middle of the field. And um, I want to call out one of the few Florida fans that I follow on Twitter, who I think is a great follow is Richard Johnson. who's a writer at moon crew over there. Uh, Richard Johnson had this, uh, he had one of those sort of like field charts about where each throw went from Alabama and Texas A&M. Um, and then Alabama Ole Miss. And what you see is that like uh, Ole Miss and Texas A&M had like a 60, 70% completion rate to the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that is where their defense is weak. And I, I think one thing that you can count on Stetson for is that that dude, when he has a pocket can deliver to the middle of the field. And this is a good ball. I mean, you might say it's like a touch, it's a, a touch behind him. But it's not, you know, it's a ball that Kier should catch. It's not like an uncatchable ball or anything. And it was a good read to see the broken coverage and, and try to attack that soft, that the soft part of the defense. So, and Kier seems to be finding, and I don't know if that's his role, if he's just a zone guy to find those soft spots, but he sure has been doing it a lot this season. I mean, I, I mean, Trey McKitty, we don't have either of these pulled up on the list, but like Trey McKitty also did that really well. I mean, he looked very athletic, very quick. Um, I think McKitty is probably a good mix. I think the reason McKitty's getting so much place, he's probably right in between Washington and Fitzpatrick. Like he's got the experience and he's got really soft hands, but he can also really block. Fitzpatrick is a very ready blocker, but I don't know if he's quite as dominant as a blocker as Darnell Washington is. So I think, you know, McKitty's going to continue to get a lot of play. Yeah. All right. We're going to clip 50 now. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So again, this is just another example of like you, Oh, no, this is not it. Hold on. Did I give you the wrong number? Possibly. Possibly. That's just a nice unsuccessful run. Yeah. Well, there's an example of how Tennessee, I mean, like, well, I'm, if you want to just vamp while we're doing this, you can just run that play because this is a really good example. Of, <laughs> this is a really good example of how things didn't work a lot where like you've got six guys in the box and an inside linebacker creeping. And it's like that the numbers just don't work there. Right. Long story short, we don't, we can, we can move on. The biggest thing about Bennett is he's making completions on he's making completions on third downs and he's making completions in the middle of the field. If he continues to do that, he's going to be continue to be UGA's uh, quarterback, regardless of whether or not you want him to be or whether or not JT Daniels has a higher ceiling. I I really think Bennett is going to have to like genuinely lose us a game before before we move anything. And and I don't even know if losing the Alabama game is going to be enough. It's clip 56. Go to 56. Yeah, 56. Yeah. Thank you for finding that for me. <laughs> this, this is a really good example of like Bennett has an arm. Like he's not a he's not a noodle arm. And this is a this is a bullet t- and it, it's in a tight window. And of course, you have the sort of Trey Hill comes Save. and cleans it up. The old the old hook, ass there. Yeah, the old hook and ladder to the center. Um, it's really beautiful. Um I mean that hustle is unbelievable though. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just I don't know how many centers. I mean, maybe I'm not watching the center after a 15 yard pass. He's, he's very athletic, but but what I like about this is this is not zone. This is straight up man, and you know Burton just finds a step on him, and Bennett just bullets it in there. And so like 
any criticisms I have of Bennett have to do with his ability to face pressure. I'm not one of these people that's like, you have to have a giant quarterback. Like, I don't care about that. I think you have to have the quarterback that can win you the game. Uh, my concern is I'm not sure that he can win us every game that we're going to play if he faces pressure the way he's going to. Well, just one quick thought on that, on the whole JT Daniels Bennett thing. Like, there was some throws in the first half that, you know, it looked like Stetson underthrew, like, at, particularly the George Pickens pass down the sideline where he got interfered with. I mean, that ball was underthrown by a lot, but it's also what happens when any quarterback, for the most part, save for like someone with the arm strength of a Matt Stafford, is rolling out and falling away and throwing off their back foot. Like it's always going to be a recipe for bad. But my point being, it's like when, when Stetson Bennett gets his feet set and, you know, points his body and throws the ball, he's got plenty of arm to play in the SEC. Right. Right. And and I think that the the thing on Bennett is just like, yeah, he's not Matt Corral. He's not yeah. you know, Matt Jones even. And and that's fine. And I think the, the question is not how many games can uh UJ win against Bennett or with Bennett, because UJ can win most of its games. The question is when UJ needs Bennett to win a game himself, can he do it? And I think that's a question that's still very open. Yeah. So let's talk about some stats. All right. Well, I did some number crunching today as always. And this is, you know, this is our basic, yeah, here's our offensive success rate chart. And uh, I mean, again, this is just, you know, I'm not going to explain it. You guys have heard it by now. You can see that Alabama passed Florida this week as the number one most successful and efficient offense. Uh, the stats in that Ole Miss game were ridiculous. And then of course, Georgia again is, has actually increased uh, their defensive success rate dropped just a little bit, but still, I mean, it's really good. This is like eighth nationally uh, tops by a good margin in the sec. And if Look we go, man, do I know? Yeah. Arkansas. Yeah. Arkansas is holding its own for sure. And then, um, and then offensive pass success rate or passing success rate is not good, Bob, uh, you know, down the bottom half of the league and, but you know, pass explosiveness, you know, we're getting explosive plays out of it. Um, but just not enough of them. And again, look at Alabama and Florida is all right there. So, I mean, it's um, and then here's our EPA uh, total EPA. This is a good stat. The, uh, if you net these plays, you'll see again that Alabama and Georgia are pretty much the number one and number two teams in the conference. So Alabama obviously could mad points up and mad stats in that Mississippi game. But Georgia did so on defensively. Um, and you can see we're the only defense with a negative total EPA for the year. I mean, and and by that, just so you know, like LSU, Alabama, and Ohio State all had negative total EPAs for the season last year, and all were in, you know obviously they were in the playoff. So that so that that those add together. I mean, when you're looking comparing teams, you know we don't have common opponents. You know, different yardages, different game flows. This kind of accounts for all of that. This is this is how efficient you are on offense and how efficient you are on defense. And Alabama's. Signi not significantly, but a, a good bit better in this. T if you netted these two stats, than Georgia is, but Georgia is a lot better than the second best team in the in the um, in the in the conference. Our defensive explosiveness. I mean, this is again a measure of how when an offense gets explosive plays on you, how explosive are they? And Georgia is leading all defensive metrics and all defensive stats in the conference. But um, you can see we're just we're not giving up a big plays. I mean, I know we had two huge plays in the Tennessee, but that was it. You know, they're, they're not 
you know, big chunk yardage plays and big explosive plays in the middle of the field to, you know, I mean, Georgia's, I mean, again, I, this is where I always say, sometimes the stats and the eyeballs tell you the same thing. Anybody want to yeah, I mean, on that nerdness? I think, you know, and this is something we're going to talk, we, we're probably going to talk about more when we get to the Alabama show. Yeah. You know, our offense is probably not as good as you think it is right now. Now, on the one hand, are there some promising signs? Yes. Are there things that you're happy to see as a Georgia fan and things that you're like, damn, like Georgia should have been running these play concepts a long time ago. Yes. Lots of positive movement, but we're not there yet. And you know, the truth is with Stetson Bennett at the helm, are we going to be there this year? I don't know. But you know, again, the question I guess is just like, does that matter? Right. Um, well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm still concerned about our offense. I mean, our rush rushing plays. I mean, we're, we're still not yeah. getting explosive rushing plays. And it's still clearly a bread and butter of this offense. And um, I'm a little worried about that. So the thing that I would say, which I, I agree 100%, like there's a lot of things that need to be cleaned up on the offensive side of the football. I'm glad that we had an opponent between Auburn and Alabama to kind of like, like I think everything came so easily against Auburn that it's sort of, you know, looking at the game plan and how many times we went back to the well with those like up the middle plays to Zamir White, like I think it kind of lulled the offensive staff into a false sense of comfort. So moving forward, you know, the the thing that I do think is relevant from looking at those numbers is Georgia's already played three of the top five defenses in the SEC, according to EPA. Um, so it's like Georgia will have some opponents coming down the road that there's going to be more opportunity and we're going to have more advantages on the line of scrimmage, but the offensive line in general, like it, it's still the the most problematic unit on the team. And there's still a lot of problems with the offensive line that need to get worked out. And there was a, a moment yesterday in the third quarter, uh, I was walking back from the bathroom and I was coming behind the bench there behind the hedges and Georgia had had that three and out from our own 10 where we ran those three straight kind of befuddling running plays. And uh, Matt Luke was in, you know, he had the O-line huddled up under the little uh, tent there. And, like, he was chewing on some ass. And he was slamming his Expo marker into the white dry erase board, and he was getting after it. And, you know, for whatever reason after that, like, we seemed to block a little bit better throughout the fourth quarter than we had most of the game. But it's – I think it's a scheme issue in the running game. And I think it's also an execution issue in the running game. And I think, you know, the scheme can cover up for some of the deficiencies that we have in the players on the offensive line, but those guys have to to play better assignment football than they're playing right now. Let's talk about some defense. Um, can we look at uh, the last play of uh, Tennessee's drive eight? Yeah. The Kobe Dean tackle on Eric Gray. All right, so queue it up. Here we go. I'm alive. You're alive. Thank goodness. My cat, my cat. During the during this recording, my cats have killed a spider and unplugged my computer. <laughs> it's been a really chaotic night for them. Very cat-like, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, what I want to look at basically is, and this is just kind of an example of what he does. I think personally, you know, we talk a lot about Aziz. We talk a lot about Adam Anderson. We talk a lot about Trayvon Walker and some of these guys that are rushing the passer, passer Nolan Smith. But that play right there from N'Kobe Dean, 
allows us to do everything that we do on defense because you've got one guy in the middle of the field who has incredible closing speed. He can cover almost anybody in man-to-man coverage, and it allows you know it allows our defensive backfield to clear out on the edges, to get deep, to play man-to-man, and he kind of patrols that whole center third of the field. I mean, he closed on him so – yeah, he closes on him incredibly quick, and it's like he's just a very sound fundamental tackler. Yeah, well, he may, and he also – yeah, I was about to say, that's the thing is he makes a tackle on a guy at a, with a full head of steam, and he right. doesn't get any extra yards. Yeah, he didn't have the most perfect angle, but his – like, you know, Graham just said, his tackling just – man, he wrapped him up. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think he's kind of forgotten a lot because, you know, he sort of exists – in a role that because he's there covering things up, other guys get to thrive and have their names called and make big plays. But I just kind of want to give Nicobe Dean a shout out because I think he is the, the guy that's thrown coal into the engine a lot of the times. Um, Can you pull up uh drive nine about mm-hmm. 42 seconds in for me? So this is a play, unfortunately that we're going to have to watch with the weather alert and that's all right. But <laughs> I just want you to watch, um, Monty Rice, I think, is similar to Dean in that, like, this is not a fancy play, right? He, he, he tracks towards the uh, the the mesh point, and then he sees it's going out to the flat, and he just runs it down behind the line of scrimmage. And yeah, certainly it forces a fourth down. This forces the forces a turnover, or no, this forces the third down. Um, and, but it's not real fancy, and it's not even like super athletic. It's just smart. Like he doesn't get suckered into the play action, right? He doesn't. Um, he doesn't, you know, get washed out of the block. He takes a good angle, drops his hip. I think Monty Rice is a guy that, you know, he'll probably play in the NFL, but you're not going to see him in the first round of the draft probably. Um, but he just does a lot of stuff well. I mean, he runs and tackles. He's got a good head for the game. He diagnoses plays well. And I think he kind of similar to Dean, whereas Dean's, you know, ceiling is probably like, he's Roquan Smith too. Um, you know, Monty Rice is probably not ever going to do that, but I think in some ways he really makes the – the defense run as well because he just makes plays like this all the time like uga has not had a lot of successful like flat routes ran against them they haven't had a lot of successful wide receiver screens ran against them and Monty race is a huge reason for that because that dude just like loves to eat those up yeah that is what he does and he always seems to have his eyes like on the quarterback like he knows where the quarterback is looking and he diagnoses plays very quickly because of it. well um, he's never he's never fooled either you know i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of mesh point stuff. There's a lot of trickery. There's a lot of, uh, you know, movement and pre-snap and post-snap. And, like, Monty Rice is very rarely out of position. And, like, if you can just do that, you can play in the NFL. Like, Yeah, no, for, yeah, you're 100% right. And, I mean, I also think that, like, he and Dean as well, like, it's good complementary football. Like, on that play there, you know, he, he came in and, like, set that edge. Because, you know, he had Tyson Campbell out there on the outside, even though Campbell was kind of half blocked. Like he made sure that there was not a lane to cut back into the middle of the field and made it up. So this is another play. This is another play I wanted to wanted you to pull up. Um, This is actually the play that George Pickens got the unsportsmanlike on. Um, And I don't want to even, I don't have time to get into that, but what I think, what I think is crazy about this play. So like, on one end, you've got Trayvon Walker, all everything, five-star, freak of nature, defensive tackle who can play defensive end. On the other hand, you've got Aziz Ojolari, 
Four star look, um, dude. He jumps off the bench to get. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, he, he really does. He jumped off the bench to, to mess with him, which like I think that's really funny. Also, Jalen Carter's backside pursuit on this is excellent. Watch Jalen Carter disengage from the center and be like, "Oh, hey, look, he's going outside. Okay, I can run," and like gets turns that into like a three yard run, which is amazing. But the thing I want to point out here is that like um, Aziz Ojolari is a real player, and that was not his recruiting profile. And that I think even last year, you know, he led the team in sacks last year, but like, I don't think that we fully appreciated him or appreciate him. Like he's not Nolan Smith. He's not Trayvon Walker. He's not one of those guys, even like Jane Carter, who you're like, Oh Jesus, like that dude is a freak of nature. He's just a, he's got incredible bend. And I mean, you can see it on this play. Like he simultaneously like bullies this guy physically and then just runs past him. And he had a sack and I don't have the sack pulled up and we don't have to do it, but like, his first sack is he's largely's first sack. His shoulder touched the ground on the sack. Yeah. Like that dude is a just like I, I hate when people, when football coaches use this term, but he is a straight bender. Like he can run and he can bend. And like I don't think that, like, you know, I think a lot of people said, like, hey, appreciate this defense while you have it. Appreciate this defense. Appreciate it. Totally agree. But like I think appreciate Aziz Ojalari because that dude's played on Sunday, like next year. Well, yeah, he is. I mean, he's an he's an incredible athlete, and I mean, the other thing about him is, I hate to like talk this because I, f- I feel like again it's like coach speak, but like the dude is just absolutely one hundred percent relentless, and he's tough as nails. And he, you know, he comes in full bore on speed rush and he gets nailed. But Josh has got a pull, play pulled up here. I wanted to talk about with Eric Stokes, so. Stokes came in the game in the second half after DJ Daniel got burned deep twice uh, by Campbell, I believe, was the wide receiver for the Vols. A, that's just like perfect fundamental coverage right there on that pass breakup. But B, in the bigger picture of the game, Tennessee wasn't having much success against Georgia's defense anyways. But like once he came in, the one thing that Tennessee was able to do well, which was, you know, hit some some deep passes along the sideline, basically got shut down from there. Campbell shifted over to the other side, who he's having an incredible season so far. But Stokes, just the way that he plays, like how low he stays in his stance, he's just kind of sitting there, you know, glued to the wide receiver. And I don't know if we have the interception that we can look at from a – I think it's 48 seconds. I wasn't was entranced by a sack, but this is, I mean, he just never lets go. I mean, and he, no penalty, clean play, just bats it down. It's just like, yeah. said, it's just beautiful. And he has, he has more plays. I feel like than anyone in college football that like under normal circumstances, you would expect it to end in a pass interference flag just because of like where he's positioned. And normally you see defenders put their arm around the back or, or make contact early, but like he just plays everything so well um, that, you know, it's a, I, I think moving into Bama week, as we start looking at those matchups and the receivers that Alabama has, like having him on the field next week is going to be important. I, I think DJ Daniel is a great player and, you know, I think he's he's wonderful, and we're all pulling for him, obviously. But I think that Stokes and Campbell are very clearly your top two corners, and we're going to need them to shut those guys down. And here's the the interception, which is just him watching the backfield and you know jumping the route. Um, but 
Well, it's good play recognition, right? He doesn't get beat. He sees he's coming. He's going to curl inside. So he doesn't drop his hips until he sees the inside move. And to have the reaction time to not get beat on a possible option route there. Because right, because that's like a, a very common thing is to like run an option route, wait for the guy to drop his hips, and then just run a go. But like he sees that the dude is like trying to kind of curl in on him and just like sits on it. And that's, I mean, that again, like boring. It's a boring take. But like UGA's defense has good players at every level and they're going to be in every game this year. Like they're not getting blown out this year. Like I would be shocked unless that blowout is on some like garbage time. Like, you know, you, you know, Kirby just puts in the third string cause he's pissed off kind of stuff. Like, so I will give you my hot take since we're, we're given some very free. Yeah. Give me, cold. yeah. Give me, give me a hot take one. <laughs> so my hot take is that the Georgia defense is the best unit in college football right now. And I don't think that is a, that hot of a take, honestly. I do not think there is a better offensive unit or defensive unit than the unit that Georgia has on defense. I don't think that's a real hot take. Yeah, I mean, because I think you would say, like, even Alabama's offense with all that skill talent, like, their offensive line is not what it has been. Mm-hmm. And and there isn't another, like, in Ole Miss with all the skill talent that they had. You can get their offensive line in deep drop back, you know, and, like, they have a really good coordinator and. But if they take a seven staff draft, they're going to take a fl- uh, take a sack a lot of the time. And so, like, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think they're. I think they're certainly the most complete. Like, they're just not any bad players that see the field. And I, I saw I saw a snap. I saw a thing. Um, I saw a, a stat that was about how like forty players on this team, or sorry, sorry, twenty four players have taken at least forty snaps on this defense. Yeah, I and mean like, that's an absurd amount of depth. This defense has a functional two deep, but not in the sense of like a, you know, you have a two deep and you have your backups and they don't come in unless they're spelling someone like UGA is entirely content to just be like, yeah, DJ Daniel seems like the hot hand. Oh, he's not the hot hand. Eric Stokes, get in there. Right. Right. Nolan Smith's not the hot hand. Adam Anderson, get in there. Right. Aziz Ojolari is, ha- is you know, be- Aziz Ojolari needs a breather. Like, let's just put Trayvon Walker at defensive end. Whatever. And it's just when you have, and I think, you know, looking forward to like uh, another sort of early, early hot take that I have is that I actually think UG is pretty well positioned to come out of this. They're not going to be as good next year on defense, but like, if you look at the names that are still in that room that are, that are not getting play, like there's a lot of good players who are not playing like Nazir Stackhouse, Jalen Carter is not seeing every snap. Like Trayvon has at least one more year. Like there's, there's like Lewis sign. Chris Smith, um, like not even, you know, uh, Kelly Ringo didn't, he isn't even playing this year. He's got an injury. So it's like, this is a wild, this is going to be a wild 24 months for UGA fans when it comes defensively. This is like very much 2011, 2012 Alabama, I think. Yeah. And speaking of Stokes, I mean, I think on the college football level, he's recognized as a great player, but because he's undersized, you know, I mean, that's why he was a a three-star recruit coming out of college. Like he's probably not going to be projected as a, you know, a high round draft pick because of that. So you may even get him back for another year. Um, but yeah, it would be, get, you know, even half of our starters back for next year because like starter in the UGA defense is a very loose term. You've got, like you said, 40 guys that play 20 to 30 snaps a game. Can I give you a stat on Stokes per uh, PFS uh, college? Please. Yeah. He had he was targeted five times, zero incompletions, two broken passes. You mean zero completions? Sorry, zero completions, 
two broken pass, two uh, broken up passes, like in one interception too. Yeah, and a pick. Yeah, so there were only two. There were only two balls thrown his way that were just like the receiver didn't catch it. You know what I'm saying? Every other ball was either he broke it up himself or he picked it. Yeah. Well, and there was there was a coverage that he had like down the the left sideline in the third quarter uh, when Tennessee was moving left to right on the screen, and it was just perfect defense. Um, and I mean, really, after that, like. You know, they knew better going in to test Campbell deep after what he did with Seth Williams last week. But it was like after that, Tennessee did not try another deep ball for the rest of the game. I don't think we have that much more. I know, uh, Graham, did you want to sort of, I think you were in Athens this weekend. Do you want to share any of your experience before we get out of here? Yeah, well, I I was. And uh, I definitely, you know, had kind of some mixed feelings going in of, you know, what was that going to be like? And, and, you know, how was it going to be? And, you know, I will say everyone in the stadium from what I saw was doing a really good job with wearing masks and social distancing. There was even uh, one group in our section that had like five people together instead of four and security came in and, you know, told the fifth person to go to their assigned seat. So like they're, they're doing a good job of, of holding that together, but, uh, there was lots of fun plays yesterday, but, but yesterday in the fourth quarter, when Monty Rice had the, uh, the strip sack that he scooped up and and pulled back for the touchdown at that point, you know, the, the lights had gone down and, and I, I, I have not been in Sanford stadium since the new red lights were installed last year. And there was just a moment there for the six or eight seconds or however long that play took to happen where, you know, for a brief moment, there was no coronavirus going on. There was no, you know, division around the upcoming election. There was no, all of the things that we've dealt with in 2020. And there was just a lot of noise and a lot of joy and a lot of people jumping up and down. And I was there with my, my parents and a family friend. And, you know, it was just kind of a, a moment of like hugging and, and joy and, and pure unadulterated happiness. And I think more than anything, I really appreciate the efforts that have been made to make football happen. And above all the, the guys at the, the players that are actually playing and, you know, have gone through all of the stuff that they've gone to, to put themselves at, at risk for our entertainment, because there's a beautiful thing that happens like when the ball is snapped and everyone's just concentrating on that, that moment in time. And I'm very grateful that we have that going on right now. Cause I know it helps keep me sane. So that's all I wanted to say. Hey, can I just say something? Uh, and just speaking of being sane, this is way less important than what you just said, which I thought was beautiful. And I'm about to do the outro. But I just want to say that the Falcons just officially fired Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn. And, and I have not been this happy about NFL in, in like so long. The last time I was this happy was when Atlanta was up 28 to 3. When Atlanta was up 28 to 3 in the Super Bowl, that was the last time I was this happy about the Falcons. I'm pouring, I'm pouring one out for Dan. Oh, my God. I'm so happy. I cannot wait until he is Florida's defensive coordinator last next year, and he just recruits a bunch of two stars because he thinks they have heart or whatever, 
and they fit whatever metrics he had he does and he runs the two over shell and just gets shredded on on zone every day oh god i'm so oh i feel so blessed hire <laughs> eric b enemy okay um yes hire eric b enemy 100 dude that dude that dude's offensive scheme is fun it yes. is it is fun um hey you know what else speaking of some breaking news i did just get a text from uh i got i, I just got a, a dm from a, a jets blogger that we'd spoken to earlier in the year yeah, and it was awesome. just you see that yeah it was just a meme of of like uh the picture of adam gase the jets coach and then upgrade and then a picture of todd munkin like the yeah. the jets really want the jets fans really want him to hire todd munkin this has been the battle hymnal this is a streaming whatever you want to call it associated with the chapel bell with chapel bell curve the greater chapel bell curve mcu uh you can find what you just heard today on an audio format on our chapel bell curve stream um, if you really loved what you heard here today, you can check us out on Patreon at t- patreon.com forward slash shop bell curve. That'll get you access to the discord, which will give you access to a bunch of stats from Josh. It'll give you access to uh, probably more of me than you'd like in a given day. It'll give you access to just a lot of tomfoolery, a lot of fun, a really good community uh, for a time when people don't get to go out very much. So we'd love it if you checked that out. It's all going to charity this year to our Dogs for Pups campaign to help uh, students in the local Clark County area. Um, so it's for a good cause. Uh, if you want to check us out on Twitter, you can find Josh at dog underscore stats. You can find Graham at dog out, dog out west. And you can find me at Nathan J. Lawrence. You can check out the Battle uh, the Battle Hymnal's Twitter page at the Battle Hymnal or Chapel Bell Curve at Chapel Bell Curve. We will catch you in the Classic City next time. And until then, go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>